Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You're still with me on Editors Forum tonight, Tuesday, the 17th of May. And uh, we're unpacking your big news stories this week and chatting to my colleagues at our radio stations around the country. And joining me from KZN, or from KZN, we've got uh, Muhammad Sheikh from Radio Al Ansar. Muhammad, assalamu alaikum to you. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Well, as you can hear, I'm trying to battle the flu today, uh, but otherwise things are good, alhamdulillah. Let's talk first about what's happening in KZN at the moment. I know the drought has been quite severe and KZN seems to be worse off than a lot of parts of the country. What's the latest in that? Well, uh, like you say, correctly mentioned that the drought has been taking its toll on many parts uh, of Kozulu Natal and across the country. Uh, we know that South Africa is a water-stressed country. It also um, faces an even drier future and climate uh, uncertainty. Uh, we have these cycles of drought that are also uh, persisting. Uh, but uh, alhamdulillah, we ha- have had these sudden excessive rains as of late, which have helped somewhat. Um, to ease the burden uh, currently being experienced by communities. I think there's many reasons that attribute to the growing water crisis in South Africa. Um, it includes climate change, um, which has affected water supplies within the region. Um, rain that usually supply the country's water have recently been infrequent. Um, so due to this fact, cities are looking to impose water restrictions on communities. Um, now, although South Africa boasts one of the, the most uh, clean water systems in the world due to the lack of uh, sanitation and access to the country's rural communities, I think this, this threat of waterborne diseases um, is steadily increasing as well. Now, since last week, uh, I remember last week we spoke about the uh, drought conditions in KwaZulu-Natal, uh, but since last week, many communities across KZN have been experiencing life without water. Um, according to the Etagwini municipality, a major pipeline responsible for distributing water to parts of uh, Chatsworth, uh, Umlazi and Phoenix as well, uh, was damaged during the heavy rains in the province. Um, we sent out our reporters yesterday to canvass the views of these communities, and many are outraged with uh, some saying that they've had no water for up to a week, uh, which has made basic tasks like cooking, uh, cleaning, and basic sanitation an immense problem as well. Um, Alhamdulillah, water has now been restored. Uh, we can report to many of these areas, and uh, the municipality has said that they are working on a contingency plan uh, to ensure that these disruptions don't occur um, in the future as well. Uh, We know that South Africa faces the challenge of deteriorating uh, environmental quality as well due to pollution and uh, natural uh, resource degradation. Um, So these are all things that have to be taken uh, into into cognizance um, as well. When when one brings to light the quality of water for consumption in the country, I think we all know that uh, South Africa is still one of a handful of countries globally where the tap water is safe for human consumption. Uh, and this is as a result of rigorous testing and treatment methods. But, um, you know, how does this bode for the future as well is a question that we've been asking to municipal officials. And uh, one of the departments we've spoken to is the Department of Water and Sanitation in KwaZulu-Natal. But they have assured us that uh, the public has uh, no reason to worry and that the water is extremely safe to consume. However, we are still experiencing drought conditions, so a lot of uncertainty um, surrounding this issue at this point in time. Mohammed, so you may have also picked up that South Africa has now partnered with Iran to develop desalination plants along all coastal <clears throat> communities, obviously to boost water supplies. I mean, what's your take on that? Have you uh, enough knowledge in that? Yes, yes, absolutely. It's something that we have uh, 
covered during the course of, of the week. We know that uh, uh, South African-Iranian relations have been uh, on the rise over the course of the past few years. Um, Iran has come out from uh, relative isolation and now implementing a number of global strategic projects, and one of them being uh, the issue of a desalination plant uh, in South Africa. And I think when we're looking at it from that perspective, I think we've, we've spoken earlier in the week to a Middle East analyst um, who also uh, dabbles in South African politics, and uh, he spoke to us about the fact Iran is now looking to solidify their position on the African continent. And what better way to do it than uh, to get into uh, a mutually beneficial arrangement with the largest or one of the largest economies on the continent uh, in South Africa. I think in terms of the actual uh, condition of our water supplies, the desalination plant itself will be uh, a huge help and a massive help. The only concern that we've had and something we've raised with the Department of Water and Sanitation is the maintenance of such a plant. It uses uh, highly sophisticated technology. Uh, it uh, requires machinery that's highly sophisticated as well. Will maintenance be an issue long term? Because if we have a desalination plant and if our drought conditions uh, persist across the country, then of course it's going to be working overtime to uh, produce safe water for consumption uh, for the majority of the population. So definitely a lot of uh, kinks that need to be looked at uh, as well before uh, the actual system can be implemented uh, uh, fully. So, uh, you know, inshallah, we're hoping that good things come out from it. We want our communities to benefit as well. We want our country to benefit uh, at the same time. But uh, I'm sure a lot more will be uh, spoken about uh, in the news in the forthcoming weeks. Absolutely. And of course, uh, we also need to look at the economic viability. I mean, we know the country's credit rating is near junk status. So, yeah, this uh, project would possibly go into billions of, of dollars. Now, if we look at the elections, local government elections coming up in August, uh, the IEC, um, we had opposition parties of... Um, was signed the Electoral Code of Conduct in Midran yesterday and also calling on the IEC to ensure that there is no preferential treatment or abuse of state resources in the upcoming municipal elections. And obviously we know the IEC has that court case underway. So, I mean, not a lot of good press for the IEC lately, but how have you been covering this? Mm -hmm. So when we're looking at the uh, IEC, the Independent Electoral Commission, uh, one of the uh, biggest news stories coming out actually uh, today is the proclamation date, which is uh, imminent. Now, of course, we do know that uh, President Jacob Zuma has already announced uh, August 3rd as the date for the elections, but an official proclamation uh, of the date is still required in terms of the law. Uh, so we spoke to South Africa's uh, Chief Electoral Officer, uh, Musutu Mwepia, um, that's what he said uh, in, in Parliament as well, that uh, the local government elections are basically just a few uh, weeks away or a short month away or two. And, um, you know, time is going to really fly up until this point. He was briefing Parliament's Portfolio Committee on Home Affairs on the uh, Electoral Commission of South Africa's readiness to conduct the municipal elections. And he indicated uh, that they were at an advanced stage of preparedness, which is a good thing. It means that uh, now the process can begin whereby the IEC can uh, identify uh, different communities and different wards across the country and uh, ensure that the voters' role is taken care of, meaning that no one would be able to register to vote after the date appears in the government gazette that uh, all the issues that need finalization can be finalized as, as fast as possible, uh, that the IEC can then also uh, draft an electoral timetable, which is vitally important 
to them uh, achieving all their goals in the elections. Like you say, they have been coming under some negative stress uh, as of late over the past few weeks in terms of using, uh, utilizing state resources. And I think this is the sort of rhetoric that always comes up closer to election time. If it's not started by um, disgruntled members in communities, it's also started up by political parties as well. So we do have to be very careful about how we analyze that sort of information. I think some of the interesting statistics that have come out, uh, that have come out rather this week uh, from the IEC is that they've correlated much of the data over the voter registration period and they've now said that there are currently 26.3 million names on the voter roll, uh, 44% more than uh, during the 1999 municipal elections. Uh, they also said that they have a 14.4 uh, or rather 14.4 million people uh, who are women and 11.8 uh, million men on the roll. So, alhamdulillah, you know, uh, uh, females in the country are in a much more prominent role in the uh, election and the electoral process. They are going to the ballot boxes. They're making uh, their voices heard as well. I think one of the biggest uh, victories for the IEC and the biggest gain is that they've seen um, that in this election in terms of registration, they've had a huge proportion of people that have been registered um, that are under the age of 30 years old, which means that young people are mobilizing. They are taking advantage of the opportunity to vote. They are becoming part of, the, of a vibrant democracy, which, which is good to see. Uh, throughout the course of this week, we've been canvassing opinions from people in our own communities, uh, specifically uh, in, the, in the Durban region, the central Durban region as well, asking them what they're looking uh, for from the IC, what, what are the key roles they feel uh, the IC should be playing during this period of time. One of the main issues um, that has come out is uh, the fact that uh, we have special votes and a special voting process, especially when it comes to individuals that are elderly within our community, grandmothers or grandfathers, our aunts and uncles as well, and how that process will take place. Um, many community stations have also got involved when it comes to educating the public on the processes of the IEC, um, like Radio Al-Ansar has, uh, like Voice of the Cape has, I'm sure, as well. And... Um, the special votes process is something very easy. If you are an elderly individual, if you'd like to cast a special vote, which, of course, the IEC official will come home to your home, they will allow you to cast your vote in person, and, uh, of course, it's a confidential process. Um, you can contact them, go onto the website, visit the IEC website, you can Google it, um, go on to the special vote section of the website and apply for a special vote, and uh, it doesn't take a lot of time at all. It's something that we've produced as well. It's very interactive, very user-friendly, and, of course, important for our elderly individuals in our communities, many of whom have been part of the struggle for democracy, so it's important that they do vote. Um, I think one of the other key aspects that I wanted to highlight, especially uh, since you know we are speaking to Voice of the Cape, is that the longest voters' role in the last municipal elections in 2011 was in the city of Cape Town. And uh, Musutu Muepia from the IEC indicates that this trend uh, was set to uh, continue as well. The Western Cape also leads with 61 political parties. So we can see that democracy is vibrant and it's real in the Western Cape. So alhamdulillah, uh, we have to say hats off and a very good job to uh, candidates in the Western Cape as well. And uh, we hope for, for a very vibrant election, inshallah. That's wonderful to hear. I didn't even know that. So thanks for bringing that to our attention. Just to end off, uh, political violence in KZN. And we know, uh, you know, KZN's always a sort of a flashpoint of tensions when it comes to the elections. Um, what has been happening lately? 
Um, well, of course, when it comes around to election time, there is a lot of mudslinging that we hear about in the media, in the uh, press as well. But uh, unfortunately, there is also a lot of political violence that goes on in many, many communities across KwaZulu-Natal uh, areas uh, like uh, Kwanungoma, areas like uh, Umlazi, areas like uh, Kwamashu as well. And uh, very unfortunate is that earlier this week we had a KwaZulu-Natal uh, ANC councillor who was killed and his wife was critically injured uh, when their car was shot at. And this was in uh, Nongoma uh, early on Monday, uh, which was yesterday. And uh, we then um, had earlier in the week, uh, or rather I could I say a few weeks ago, an uh, Eteguini ANC councillor, uh, Zodwa Sibia, who was shot and killed at the Cleveland Hostel in Umlazi. And we know that there is this ANC uh, IFP violence that goes on in the Komashu hostels as well. We're always hearing um, the, the sparking of, of certain issues uh, in that region. Um, councillors that are at times uh, held at ransom, that are taken hostage, councillors that are also beaten up. There's many unfortunate uh, issues that are coming out from it. But I think, you know, we spoke to a political analyst yesterday, and we had a discussion with him about the issue of political violence. And he says that um, the communication to councillors and communication to members of parties needs to come directly from the party itself. I mean, the IEC can speak about a code of good conduct, an electoral code of good conduct, but at the same time, uh, the, the message itself has to come from political parties. They need to calm uh, their respective constituencies, bound to speak to uh, their members and let them know that this is not the way to project the vibrancy of a democracy. This is not the way to honor a democratic process as well. And, uh, of course, if there are issues that need to be taken up, you have the legislature for that. You have your councillors as well. Take it up with them. Uh, violence is never a solution to the problem. We know that the ANC uh, Provincial Secretary Super Zuma has come out as well, uh, saying that these sorts of ambushes um, cannot be taking place. The sort of violence against councillors cannot be taking place as well. Um, these are individuals who have families, uh, who have young children, and it's very, very unfortunate that 22 years since the advent of a democratic South Africa, we are still seeing this sort of violence uh, pervading our communities. And uh, look, of course, we, we know that uh, political violence is not anything new to South Africa. Uh, since the dawn of uh, democracy, it's been something prevalent. But nevertheless, uh, something that needs to get... Um, you know, it needs to be taken care of at this point in time. Law enforcement officials also taking a very hard line stance, saying that uh, coming toward the uh, actual date of the local government elections, they will be beefing up security in many volatile regions across the province. So, of course, we do make dua, and we, we hope that uh, uh, the, the violence does not persist, that people are given the opportunity to exercise their democratic right in freedom, in comfort, and in safety as well. And uh, just before you go, I believe there's also been some service delivery protests um, which caused quite a few delays in Durban. Is that true? Yes, yes. The service delivery protests have persisted and have continued. Uh, earlier on in the week itself, we had the M19 uh, that was barricaded uh, by protesters. We had people burning tires um, and, and throwing refuse and rubble uh, onto the roads as well. We have cars that have been uh, stoned once again. And these service delivery protests have been continuing since the start of the year. So over the course of the last five months, it's been on and off in many areas. Uh, many communities still complaining about... Uh, poor um, sanitation, a lack of service delivery in that respect, a uh, lack of uh, water in many areas, a uh, lack of electricity uh, as well in many other areas. Uh, we do know in communities like Cato Manor where we've seen uh, vigorous protesting, 
um, protest action taking place. Uh, individuals have have uh, brought uh, to the attention of the municipality that cables are being stolen, that they don't have access to electricity, that the children, uh, as a result, you know, don't have the the uh, opportunity to do their their homework even under under you know proper proper lighting that uh, they cannot cook food that they do not have access to basic sanitation and uh, these are issues that the municipality says that they are taking up and it's something that we continuously push them as the journalists to speak to the public about um, i think also when we're looking at service delivery there's an element of it uh, that also comes from the backlash of other political parties. I mean, political parties use service delivery as an opportunity to get at one another. But I think the biggest issue with that is that it detracts from your basic bread and butter issues. I mean, while the mudslinging continues, people uh, continue to go without basic service delivery. So there are many issues that need to be discussed. And uh, uh, looking at the service delivery project, I think it's something that links uh, very prominently to the um, uh, issue of the local government elections. So uh, hoping uh, from our perspective, from the people that we've spoken to in our communities as well, that these issues can be rectified and uh, that we can hopefully move forward uh, on a better footing. Absolutely. So we'll have to leave it there. Shukran to you, Mohammed, for joining us on the show tonight. And of course, we'll catch up next week, inshallah. Have a good week. Assalamu alaikum. Inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.